Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. Join us today as we learn from God's word in Habakkuk. We pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Well, good morning. Most of you are sitting in a chair, a couch, maybe on the floor. I doubt you're standing while listening, but if you are standing, I would encourage you to sit down because I got a lot of ground to cover today. You might get tired. But my assumption is that when you sat down in that chair, you sat down on that couch, you didn't actually stop before you sat down. Get down, look at the, the welds on the metal chair, look at, make sure that the wood was connected correctly. You just sat. You just completely sat down because you had complete trust that the chair you're sitting in right now, the spot you're sitting in, actually was going to hold you. You believed that. You had conviction of that. You didn't doubt that they would hold you. Why is that? Why, why is that? It's because you have a deep conviction of what you don't see. You didn't need to see how the chair was put together to believe that it was going to hold you. You have an assurance that it would do what you had hoped it for. When you sat down, you assumed it would hold you. You didn't question that. You didn't think about that. How did you learn that? How did that become a reality for you? By practicing it, by sitting. You sit over and over and over again, and 99.9% .9 of the time, it has fully worked for you. Maybe they had a friend that pulled it out for you at one point, and you've, you've learned that lesson, or you've had a chair break. We, see, we all have all kinds of different ways that faith shows up, and that's what you have. You have faith in your chair, your couch, the floor that's holding you. You have faith believing that what you're, you're experiencing, what you're going through, or what you're going to be in place, is it actually going to do what you thought you didn't even have to think. It was just kind of second nature to think that it would do it. See, we have faith in all kinds of things. We put faith in our cars, faith in our finances, faith in people. We put faith over and over and over again in things where we just assume everything's going to work the way it's supposed to work until it doesn't. See, we go to the Philippines a lot to work with a, a church there, Fishers of Christ Alliance Church. We've got a scholarship program. Actually, we're raising money for that right now. If you would like to jump in and help and support kids, that would be a fantastic thing to do. But we go there every year, and in the Philippines, they have these chairs, these little green chairs, and sometimes they're blue. They kind of go back and forth, and they're your typical, like, plast all plastic outdoor chairs, um, except for, I think, they're, 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 they're Philippine brand instead of American brand. And what ends up happening is when every single American goes, we always warn them, hey, just so you guys know, these chairs are made for smaller people. And they tend to hold smaller people all the time. Us bigger people tend to break their chairs. And every year, without question, it always happens. Someone on our team sits in a chair, gets a little too relaxed, and sure enough, it's just a big, loud pop. Chair, the legs fall out, it breaks, falls to the ground. We feel bad because they're, they're expensive to them in chairs. It's a few bucks for us to buy a new one. But it's always very, very embarrassing. And so every time I sit down in a chair, unless I'm in the Philippines at Fishers of Christ Church, I sit normally. In the Philippines, I think, think skinny, you know, breathe out, like hold. And I'd sit, I don't sit comfortably. I never lean back because I know what could happen because we believe that that isn't gonna, I don't have faith that that chair is going to hold us. We even stack them sometimes, double stack them for, for us and hope that that will help and, and reinforce them. It, it still can be broken. And there are people in this church that have broken those chairs right in the middle of a church service, all kinds of things like that. But that's the reality about faith, is that you believe it's going to work. You believe it happens. You have full confidence, assurance, and conviction, and, and evidence, and all these different things until it doesn't. 
And once it doesn't, all of a sudden your faith is shaken in that thing. You've had relationships where your faith has been shaken. You've been shaken by the fact that you realize you had faith in your job and your job is not what it was or faith in a relationship and the relationship is not what it was. And every time it starts to get shaken, what happens is our faith starts waning. We start shaking. We start questioning. We start wrestling. And those are all the things that continue to happen. And I think there's this profound truth that we see in Habakkuk today. In the middle of his just his frustration, his feisty lament to the Lord and the Lord answering him as we've talked. We've, we've covered a lot of ground just quickly. Just first week, we covered kind of the history, the, the setting with which Habakkuk came into it. And then the second week, we reminded that everyone is supposed to come to God honestly. And then the third week, we, we talked about um, how we are being out of place. Us being out of place is, 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 it's always painful to get put back in place and that sin is the real enemy and that God is about bringing glory to himself. And then last week, last week we, we challenged, uh, the, the Lord showed us through Habakkuk what it meant to, to, to wrestle with him and how we wrestle with him. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast as we don't have time to cover it or watch the video as well. But we have seen so much through this kind of this conversation that Habakkuk is having with God. He's coming frustrated. God, what are you doing? Your people, your children are sinning. How are you going to let this go on? And God answers him, which is just in itself profound. He answers him. And he says, look, I'm going to deal with them with these Chaldeans. And, and Habakkuk is like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Those people are more evil than these people. And so he comes in and he says, this doesn't seem right. And so he stands in his watchtower and he says, I will wait for you to answer, God. I will wait for you to answer. And here's where we get God's answer to the second complaint of Habakkuk before the Lord. Let's read it in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It, sure, it will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And so the, the Lord gives us this situation, this, interest, this, this answer here, and he starts it very clear. For the Lord answered me through a vision. Now, we don't know, we don't know what the vision looked like. There's, no, there's nothing that's added to this. We just know that God spoke to Habakkuk in a way that he could see the answer. So it wasn't just an audible thing, but through a vision. It, and it, we know that it came from Habakkuk standing in his watchtower, eliminating all those things, waiting expectantly, all the, the things that we talked about when we're wrestling with the Lord. It came in that moment of him being submitted to hearing the Lord. And through a vision, God speaks to him. And the very first thing he says to him, he says, look, you need to write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he, so he may run who reads it. Now, we have to understand a couple things. First off, the, the wicked in this text refers to the Babylonians or the, or the Chaldeans. We, we've understood that so far. And the righteous are those in Judah who are righteous, who are right before God because they are children of God. But we understand that Habakkuk is looking to Yahweh, to God, to punish Babylon. But one of the things that we can say with pretty good confidence and most scholars believe is that the second question that he came to the Lord with, actually some time had passed. 
So when, when Habakkuk came to God and said, hey, what are you doing with your people? And then God responds to him. There was some time, some distance, because we, what we know in history about the Babylonians or the Chaldeans is that in the first question, when, when Habakkuk was like, what are you going to do? God says, watch, you won't believe it. I'm raising up a people. At that time, the Babylonians hadn't established much work. They hadn't done much. They hadn't made a name for themselves. But as time had gone on, they started to make a really nasty name for themselves. And that's where his second complaint comes. It's like, these are the people you're raising up. Look at what they're doing. Look at where they're going. So some believe that it's a, um, it's a scene that's later on in this text, and they believe even that chapter 3 might be even later on again. So this book was written over some uh, immense time. Writing on huge wooden tablets was kind of for pu public display. Why would God say, write this vision on the tablets so he may run who reads it? When we read that in our English, we think of like, oh, that's scary and run away. That's not actually what he's saying here. What he's saying is this is such an important vision. I want you to place it up. I want you to put it in the, in the synagogue. I want you to put it in place in the temple, wherever people are going to come to worship, where they can see this, and they may run and proclaim what God is going to do. It establishes two things for us. One is that the vision is that important, and that the vision and the, the, the speaking of God isn't just for Habakkuk's sake. It's for all people. And he's saying, look, you've got you to be willing to, to proclaim this. This has got to be, it's a, it's a context of a prophetic vision inscribed on eight um, tablets for the ages to come. So not only is it that it's supposed to be proclaimed, but it's very, very obvious in this section that if it has to be written on, a on, on tablets is that it's going to take time for it to come. And the Lord doesn't want people to forget it or to miss what he's doing. And so because of that, he's saying, look, what I'm about to do, what I'm saying, write this down, put it on tablets so that those that can see it, they can run and proclaim it to everyone. And that when time passes and they start questioning it, like Abraham did in his promise with kids, like when they start questioning, they can come back and say, no, we have heard from the Lord. He has spoken to us. He has given us a clear answer. We know that he is at work. And that's what it means to write on the vision or to write the vision down on tablets. Uh, verse three, he moves on to this idea. It says, the Lord says, for the still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now, I wanna just pause for a second. And if you remember last week, we were talking about waiting on the Lord. Now, I, I, I'll admit, like waiting on the Lord is something that I definitely struggle with. But it, while waiting on the Lord, if I came to the Lord and I was waiting on him and he finally comes to answer me and then he says, now wait, I'd be like, no, I've, I've been waiting. Like, what are, you, are you kidding me? We're going to wait some more? Like, why, why do we keep waiting? And yet God says, no, there's an appointed time. There's a time for all of this to happen. And it's, it's my appointed time, not yours, not what you think, but it's my timing. And my timing is perfect. And we have to remember that God, infinite God, he's outside of time. He's, he's not slow as we would see slow. He's patient. God is at work. There's, he is individually working in every single one of his children's hearts at the exact same time, all the while working those things out to bring more glory to himself. God is at work, and he says there's an appointed time. The end here we, we assume could be an eschatological end, like an end times end, but we don't necessarily know. But he's saying either way, there's, an, there's a time. There's a time where this is going to happen. We know that years, it was in, in five, 538, I believe, that, that Babylon was finally crushed by uh, the Greeks, by Mesopotamian Greeks. And so we know that that's when it happened. But, but by that time, Habakkuk would have been long gone, been probably 50, 70 years, depending upon where you lay, lay it, after this conversation. So he says, look, I will work, although it seems slow. It, though it seems slow, the, the appointed time of fulfillment refers to this final stage in God's outworking of a purpose of redemption for his people. 
The vision of the appointed time saying it cannot lie is a very important thing for us to understand. First off, God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23, 19, we see that. But the divine statement that this vision cannot lie implies that appearances would contradict it. Now, this is important for us. We have to understand this, that, that the, mes- the message contained in the vision, that the experiences that you have, that the things that you see as you're waiting will make it seem like what God has said isn't going to happen. And that's important for us to remember because so often when we're waiting for the Lord, what we see out here does not look like what we expect or understand in here. And he's saying, don't believe the lie that I'm a liar because that is not true. I am incapable of lying. I am good. So, so the, this will not lie, although everything you see may contradict that. Although everything you see may show that I am actually lying or what I said isn't going to come to fruition or there's some other thing going on, don't believe the lie. Don't believe a lie because it cannot lie. I cannot lie. I'm incapable of lying. Even though your circumstances, your situations, those things in front of you may contradict what I even said to you. Think about Abraham. Promised a child 15 years, 20 years later, still no child. Gets the weird birthday present from his wife. Here, here's my servant. <laughs> I don't know if that's a test or what, what he's doing there, but either way, it's like, okay, here we go. Like they, they, were, they were believing that like, man, did God miss it? Did we miss something? Did we do it? So they took it into their own hands. He's like, don't believe the lie that this would lie. It is not ever going to lie. It's at appointed time. And then he says that this will not delay. The certainty of the fulfillment of this vision, despite all appearances to the contrary, finds reinforcement by the final phrases of this this verse right here. For it is sure to come, nor will it delay. So what's happening here in the Hebrews is combining two verbs, kind of combining them together with the same kind of the same root of those Hebrew words means infinite and finite too. So that this is a, a like in the language of saying, look, that it's not going to delay because I'm of infinite times. I'm an infinity. It's the same root. It underscores the certainty of an anticipated event. The vision granted Habakkuk must come to pass. One scholar says it this way. He suggests that from human perspective, the vision may appear to delay in its fulfillment because of the long period involved in its realization. But from God's perspective, the certainty of its fulfillment precisely according to the divine plan cannot be questioned. It can't be questioned. And then he goes on into into verse four, and this is where he kind of answers Habakkuk about the Chaldeans. He he starts this process and he lists out, and all we're gonna do is verse four today, is he lists out kind of two kinds of people. And we're gonna talk about those two kinds of people and then we'll go into the woes and and some of the, well, really verse five is the transition statement kind of tying four and the rest of it together. And we'll go into that starting next week. And he says there there are two kinds of people right? There's, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. So he talks about this, this con- condition of self-exaltation and um, personal esteem brings with it certain consequences. Such an individual cannot be upright in himself. So he's saying, look, the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, we've already talked about this. Even, even Habakkuk said it, like, they literally, like, make their, their, their power their God. And they're puffed up and they believe that they are the ones. And they've, they've kind of self-reliant. And he says, he says, look, this position of pride and self-reliance excludes the proud from life, from finding righteousness outside of themselves. Like, it excludes them. Because they're so proud, they can't actually be upright. They can't be justified. They can't be righteous in this position. And so he presumed to define himself as the source of his own goodness. This upright person believes he's his own goodness. 
So he can't be upright. He can't be this way. So by these words of Habakkuk's scripture, it makes it plain that the proud cannot be upright. Now that is important for us to hear because many of us wrestle with pride. Pride is the root of all sin, right? He's saying, look, proud cannot be upright. So even if, you, if we say, well, you know, I can kind of be proud. Like, no, 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 no. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We have to be aware of that. Here in this section, he says, as a consequence, neither can they live. These upright people must experience condemnation and judgment because they're not upright, because they're not righteous, because they're proud. The nation was profoundly conscious of the fact that it was a covenant people. So th- this was no question for the people of Judah. They, they knew that. They were bound by a solemn oath with life and death consequences centering on the law, solemnly dictated by the Lord of the covenant. Everything hinged on the legal decision of God of the covenant. So when he says this word righteous, that's translated righteous here, it could also be justified. It's a legal term. He's saying, look, these people are not going to pass through the court system and be deemed justified. They instead will be condemned. They're not upright. They're puffed up. There are these people that do this, and he's going to go on and talk about all the ways that they are puffed up, all the ways that they are going to struggle. And then he goes to his second part in verse 4 where he says, but, but the righteous, the justified, shall live by his faith. Now, this is one of those verses that we get a little bit of context here. We get a lot more context in the New Testament. It's, it's quoted three different times in the New Testament. And so real quickly, I just want to just show you those. The first one is Hebrews 10, 37 through 38. It says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall what? Shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He's talking about persevering to the end there in Hebrews. Romans 1.17 says this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. What is it written? The righteous shall live by faith. And then one more in Galatians 3.11 says, now it is evident that no one is justified, no one is righteous before God by the law. This is what Habakkuk understood. This is what every one of them knew. No one's justified by the law. But for the righteous shall live by faith. So we, we see that this is a, a verse that has been used over and over again in the new covenant. The people here understood. Again, remember, we, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago. They're in the Mosaic covenant. The, you, you do what the Lord asks, you be blessed. You don't, you, you, you will be disciplined or you will feel the consequences of the weight or the wrath of God due for that. And they knew that when it came to, to being right before God, that there was nothing they could do. The law continued to point to them that they were not enough to be righteous. And so they had the sacrificial system and they put all the, the, the goats and the lambs and all the pigeons and all the things that they would do to, to atone, to make right for their sins, all these things. This was a shadow. We know today that this was a shadow pointing to the righteousness that's done in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so these these people understood this. And so he's saying, look, the righteous will live by his faith. The justified will live by his faith. Now, there's some confusion in the Hebrew, in the three Hebrew kind of words that make up that one sentence. There's confusion of saying, are they justified by faith or or is the faith go more to the living by faith. And so there's kind of a question, and I really don't think it matters. At the end of the day, we see as it's applied in the New Testament that they're all actually saying the same thing that Jesus said in John 3.36, where he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You want to be justified? You want to be righteous? 
Believe in the Son. You have eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is Jesus speaking in John 3, 36. They're all saying the same thing. This is, this is a, a message that's true through scriptures. The concept of righteousness in the Old Testament kind of develops a distinctive flavor in that it's bound to the idea of a judicial standing. Like I was saying earlier, they, they, they understood that to be justified, to be righteous was, was kind of a judicial thing. It was like, yes, we're deemed this. And we know in the New Testament that, that, that God has taught us through the New Covenant that it's faith that justifies us. In the Old Testament, they knew they could not be righteous. But we also knew that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. See, the resulting emphasis only reinforces the fact that the source of true righteousness always remains outside the person. That's what we see here. It's always remaining outside the person, whether this word is tied to the justified or that they live by it. No matter what, we know that life is always done outside of our source. It's not brought in, whether it's here in Habakkuk or we see it in the New Testament. If continuing life is a gift received by faith, then the righteousness that is the basis of life must have the same source. So whether or not our righteousness is based on that faith is living, you're, you're, the righteous live by faith, or that you're justified by faith, doesn't really matter. Both require an outside source. Both require God to do something, and both are in place. And that's what we see here, is that ultimately, when it comes to a right standing before God, it comes through faith. We see this in the New Testament. We see this in the Scripture everywhere then we also see that the faithful, specifically in Hebrews, really, that they persevere to the end. They will walk with this. They will not run from the Lord. They will live by that faith, both the faith that they live by, the faith that you and I live by, and the faith that we have as a gift from God. So what we're going to do is we're going to step out of Habakkuk for a second. We're going to go into some New Testament scriptures because I really want us to define faith for a second because that's one of those Christianese words that we use often. It's like, oh, you just got to have faith. And we say things to people like, you know, if you just had a little bit more faith, this would happen as if like our faith has control of what God does. Like, no, we got we to gotta understand the purpose and, and the, 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 the point behind faith because too many of us are putting faith in objects like chairs where they break and fail us. And we need to be having our faith in the right source, the one that can endure it. So in Hebrews 11.1, 1, we kind of get the, the biblical definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. True Bible faith is the substance, is the evidence, is the witness. That's what he's saying here, the assurance. The word translated assurance literally means to stand under, to support so he's saying it's something solid, like it's founded. You're standing under it. You, you're supported by it. Faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. If there is no foundation, the house will fall. If there is no faith, we will fall. There is no exception there. So you could say it this way. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. It's confident. It's founded. It's evidence. It's there. We can feel it. We can taste it. We can believe in it. It's what holds us up. It's why you sat in the chair you're sitting in without any fear of it failing on you, because you were confident it would do it. That's what biblical faith is. When we have faith, it's God's way of giving us confidence and assurance of that what is promised will be experienced. When I have faith in God, I, I, don't, I don't have to guess He's given me words. He's given me his truth to show me, to point me, and I can put my confidence in here and say, God, I know what your scriptures say. Now, I may not follow him and I mess up there, but like ultimately I know what he is saying. And the righteous will live by faith. 
The second part says the word, um, the word that we see kind of conviction simply means evidence. It's just kind of this is the evidence. So it's, it's really weird. He says that, like the evidence of things not seen. So, so there's an evidence even though it's not seen. That's kind of what's being here. But, but this is an inward conviction from God that what he has promised he will perform. The presence of God-given faith in one's heart is conviction or evidence that he will keep his word. It's this, it's this conviction. It's this evidence that I've seen it over and over again. If you look in the rearview mirror of your life, you can see over and over again for those of us that are children of God, his hand eloquently, beautifully, faithfully, timingly moving to bring about more sanctification, more glory to him. You can see it over and over and over again. That's faith. That's faith. So how do we get faith? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? Through the word of Christ, through the scriptures. That's how we get faith. We get faith by hearing. It's important to hear that. Now, you heard something. You didn't procure it. You didn't make it. You heard something. So faith is a gift of grace, and that gift is dispensed in our hearing. It's given to us by hearing. This is why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to be proclaiming the gospel to those that don't know. Faith comes through hearing. we got to continue to push this message out. We are saved because we hear, we believe. Our faith grows into that belief by hearing the word of Christ, by sitting under the word of God. The only way faith grows is by, by God speaking it to you. And not just when you got saved, but every day of our life, your faith will grow. Your faith is started from hearing the word of Christ, the word of God. And so this is why it's important for us to be in the scripture, to continually go, not just as a, like, oh, I have to do it because it's a discipline that's reminded. This is literally how God is going to build our faith. This is how he's going to strengthen our faith, by, by rooting us further and deeper and more profoundly into his character and who he is and what he's displaying himself through all of his scriptures that he has preserved for us. Another scripture for you, Ephesians 2, 8, says, For by grace, grace is just another Christian word, just means unmerited faith. It's a free gift. For by this free gift, you have been saved, what? Through faith. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Did you hear what just happened in this text? He says to you and I that we are saved. We are made righteous before God by the grace of God alone through faith in that grace and that the faith to believe in that grace is not our own doing. It's God doing it for us. It's God doing it us. Even the faith to believe in grace of God is given to us by God so that no one may boast. So we receive faith by hearing it, the word of God, by, by going this way, right? Uh, one of the definitions that I've had for a long time, I got from a really good friend of mine, is that faith is just taking God at his word and confidently acting on it in obedience. Faith is just taking God at his word, saying, okay, I take it, I hear it. And then confidently, not timidly, confidently because we're assured, we have evidence, we're convicted, confidently acting on it. In what? In obedience to it. Not disobediently, pretending like it's faith. Like, no, that's what faith is. One pastor says it this way. I'm just going to read it. He says, Now faith comes by hearing, and faith is a gift given to us as we hear, by the grace of God, to mature us in such a way that our lives please God. How often are you putting yourself under those truths of the gospel and the promises of God? Are you studying the scripture? Are you in biblical community? Are you in places that are stirring these things up and churning these things up? We must constantly put ourselves under these things and get into the waterfall and let these things pour over us over and over again so that in the day of trouble, we will find an anchor for our souls. What is this anchor? 
faith in the promises of God, the gospel of God, and the hope that we have found, our assurance of that hope, our conviction of what we cannot see, that it all works out for our good and for God's glory in the end. It doesn't mean, he finishes it this way, it doesn't mean that you can't hurt right now. It doesn't mean you can't weep right now. It doesn't mean that you can't be in agony right now. It simply means that when all is said and done, our hope is not in now, but in the assurance of what will come. This is how faith plays out in our life. This is how the righteous live by his faith. Now back in Habakkuk, it says we are to live by his faith. So how do we live by this? See, no matter what, happens with life around us. We need to live by this faith. Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's case, no matter how God answers our pleas, think about it this way. God answers Habakkuk really kind of horribly. <laughs> he says, man, look, look, you're right. It's bad. My people are making some poor choices. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of them with the brutal Chaldeans. I'm just going to just, I'm just going to just really, really bring in a lot of discipline and consequences. That's going to happen. And Habakkuk is like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, God. Are you kidding me? How does that even work? How are you of pure sight, you of everlasting? What in the world, my Lord, my God, that relationship? How is this going to happen? And God says, don't worry, I'm doing it. Although it may seem like it delays, it will not lie. I'm in this. And Habakkuk, and then he says, Habakkuk, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. But I don't want you to wait like, the, like those that are not upright. I want you to wait like the righteous would wait, which means you would live in faith. You would walk in faith. You would walk with that conviction, that evidence, that foundation in your faith. You would walk and move and know that ultimately, like, this is what I want you to do. No matter what happens, no matter what you see, no matter how many loved ones you lose, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how long it seems to delay, right? No matter what, I want you and all my children, this is why I want you to write it down. I want you to see it. I want you to live by this faith. And I think God says the same thing to us today. Live by faith. It's faith that brings life. It's faith that brings us into the, the, the throne room of God and stands us upright and righteous. In Ephesians 2, when he says this is how we're saved, right before that, he spent a whole chapter talking about all the things that are true of you and me, those that follow Christ. If we are his children, we are blessed we are holy, we are blameless, we are righteous. All of those things are true of us, not based on anything we do, not based on anything I say or anything I act in. Instead, now I walk and I live by the faith that was given to me through Jesus Christ, through my belief in Jesus Christ. So live by this faith. So when we see hard things, this is what it comes down to, to living by faith. Do you believe God? See, because I think at the end of the day, Habakkuk could have been like, you know what? Forget you, God. And I feel like if it was modern day, I feel like there'd be a lot of great blogs talking about, you know what? I understand Habakkuk and I love you and we would be validating his feelings. Because honestly, this is a really hard truth to swallow. I think most people would be like, oh, you know, I, I mean, it is God, but you know, well, can we really know he's God? And, and at the end of the day, it comes down, do you believe? Look, there are atrocities that are gonna continue to happen in this world in yours, in my life, horrible things. And we continue to put our faith in things that will not sustain us, that will not take us through it. And we have to trust, do we, do we have to ask, kind of peel everything back and go, do you believe God? Do you believe him? Because that's what our faith is founded in, in the belief of him. Think about it. Like there is a drastic, a 
just a, a dire need in our country right now for God's justice in all sorts of situations. We can see it as clear as day, whether it's in the news or in our own lives. But we have to ask the question, do we believe God when he says, stay out of my way? I will pay even. Vengeance is mine. Do we, do we, do we understand that? Do we believe this? Do we believe that when it says it in Romans 12, 19, that, that vengeance is mine? That means that we, we have to trust and say, God, that, that's enough. Honestly, for what it's worth, anything that we can do to anyone, anything that the Babylonians can do to Habakkuk's people in his day, to the, to the people of Judah, is nothing in comparison to what God is going to do in the judgment. He says, vengeance is mine. Justice will be mine. I am a just God. Trust me, there is nothing more fearful. Even Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who can cure the soul, kill the soul and body into the hell. That is a way bigger thing to fall on. Think about it. The wrath that Jesus experienced on the cross brought him to a spot of pleading before God in the garden beforehand where his sweat became like blood because he did not want to go through it. If our God, Jesus Christ, perfect son of God, didn't want to experience that wrath, imagine how bad it must be. Therefore, we must stand back and say, God, I believe you. Now, how do I live by faith? How do I operate? How do I, how do I show the world your justice? I'm not saying we can't do that. How do, I, how do I do these things? But I'm not putting my faith in my action. I'm putting my faith in the God who says he will come through. This is what we are called to do. So which one of these people are you? We got two people here. We got the, the unrighteous and the righteous. Which one of those people are you? My, my assumption is, is that most of you sitting here, listening to this, watching this, you would say, I'm the righteous. But yet many of us have been confronted by the fact that we have been putting our faith in the wrong things. Many of us. What have you been putting your faith in? Your intellect? Being right, finances, the world, your job, relationships, health, the government, the news feeds? What are you putting your faith in? Your understanding of what's going on? All of those things are going to break like those chairs that I can see so vividly in the Philippines where the, chair, the legs just go bloop and they just come out and it makes a nice loud crash and everyone falls on the ground, inevitably ending with the person on the ground, red, embarrassed by the fact that they trusted in that chair and they shouldn't have and feeling a little bit self-conscious about our weight. That's basically what happened in that situation and that's what happens when we put our faith in anything else but God. We end up embarrassed because we put our faith in something that could not sustain us. We put our faith in something that will let you down time and time and time again. Over and over and over again, you will be let down. The only thing that we can have assurance, conviction, and evidence in and not be let, let down is God. And this is why God says, look, the righteous live by faith. Hey, Habakkuk, I know you're right. It's going to get really hard. So hard, in fact, that I'm going to have to tell you, like, write this down because you, you may not make it out physically, and I need other people to hear this but live by faith. Keep operating the faith that I gave you. Keep operating the faith that justifies you before me. Live by faith. So what are you doing today through the difficulty? Look, I, you know, we, I keep seeing people talk about, I'm just so tired of talking about these are difficult times. Like, no, like, I've been saying this on repeat and I, I, I love you guys and I, I don't want to be right. I'm only saying what God shows us, but this world, we will have troubles we are not of this world. The sooner we get that wrapped around, I have to keep beating that into my own head. I am not of this world. I am of his kingdom. That means that everything in this world is in opposition to me because I am of his. 
And I shouldn't be perplexed by that yet, but I continually find myself perplexed because I believe I deserve more. And I believe that the world can give more, and it just can't. So what are you putting your faith in? How are you doing today? Is your faith shaking? Are you, are you sitting on that throne of God, kind of shaking, hoping it will hold you, doubting it will hold you? Or are you just plopping down on that couch like you did today with full confidence? You don't need to look at the underworkings. You don't even need to look at the scriptures because you know in your heart, deep down, that there is a God that is so strong and so sturdy, it will always catch you. He will always catch you. He will always see you through it. Or are you shaking? Are you, are you trepidatious? Are you, are you following him? Are you, are you waning? Are you being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? Are you missing what's going on because of difficulty in life? Because what you had faith in is being ripped from you, whether it's financial, relational, whatever it may be. Are you, are you seeing your faith wane when really at the end of the day you realize that your faith was in something other than God? Or are you walking as the children of God are to walk with faith? Confidence, boldness, not mustering up some kind of like fairy tale viewing of like, I just got to think myself through this. No, it's a founded truth based on the characters of God. And God cannot lie. And God is good despite everything that we see. And we rest in that. I'm, I'm sh- sure, I'm hoping, I'm believing uh, that as you gather as gospel communities, hopefully you've been meeting neighbors You've been inviting people to, into your life that maybe don't know the Lord. And so I'm, I'm going to believe that there are some of you that are hearing this today that haven't professed faith in Jesus Christ. You hear me talking about this conviction. You're like, man, if there's another way besides these little broken, flimsy flip Philippines chairs, like if there's another way, if there's another way, give me that foundation. Let me see it. I want to stand on that. I want to set myself in that. I want to rest in that confidently, knowing that it will hold me. And you're saying, how do I do this? Well, the scriptures are very clear. It says in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess, if you acknowledge in your mouth, this means to acknowledge it, like not just say it, but like really deep down acknowledge, believe it, in the, in the, that Jesus is Lord, that he has supreme control of your life. The old Christian adage that he's not, you know, he's not in the passenger seat, that he's literally driving the car and you get out of the driver's seat and say, God, I want my life to be in your hands and your hands alone. Give me full submission to you. You are in control, I love you, and I will not operate outside of submission to you. Believe in your heart, that's the center of who you are, that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. That's what it means. That's what it means for you today to say, man, I will be saved, I can do this, I just need to acknowledge this, I need to confess this, I need to believe that God is doing it, and I wanna just, I wanna just rest in it, and then he will give you this faith, and then what's awesome is as you continue to read over his scriptures and look to it and get in community, he will continue to breathe more faith into you and give you more strength, and you'll walk, and you'll walk, and this is how you see those people that walk, and they just seem like they're just firmly planted in life, and the winds come, and the rash crash at them, and it's, it's so hard, and they just walk peacefully. Not because they've escaped it or they've run from it, because they believe in the promises of God with the faith that he has given them. And they live by that faith. Do you not want to be that person? Do we not want to be that people? That no matter how hard the wind ensues around us, no matter how difficult this world gets, we know with a great conviction that God has promised something far greater than anything this world will ever give us. And that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'd invite you. I would invite you to submit your life to Jesus Christ, to confess it. Literally, if you're, if you're right now, get down in your face before light, prostrate yourself and say, God, I need you. Please forgive me and just start confessing everything you've done in self-reliance because that's the opposite of the righteous. The unrighteous, those that do not stand before the Lord, the ones that cannot be 
experiencing God's love, but instead will experience God's love through wrath. They don't, they, they rely on themselves. Confess all that. God, forgive me for trying to do it myself. Forgive me. And I want to I move to another group of people because I think what's so good about this book right now that God has just set before us without us even trying to make it happen is that Habakkuk really speaks to us currently. And so there are many of you that, that you're listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, 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 that's cool. He just shared the gospel and you're thinking of, I wish so-and-so would hear that. I hope so-and-so hears it. And that's great. But you've never really let the gospel penetrate your heart. And I wouldn't be a loving pastor if I just assumed because you're watching this that you're following Jesus or just because you gave money or just because you serve or just because you, you move like you do all the right things. It wouldn't be right of me to just make the assumption that you were living by faith. And so let me ask you this question. Let me push on you just, just a little bit, just a little bit. Do you have faith? And are you exercising that faith? Here's, here's how you can know. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you one, one step further. Here's how you can know. Because if, if the answer is no, you've, you've inoculated yourself to, the real, to your real need of Jesus Christ. You've put confidence in a place that can't sustain it, and it will eventually break and fall. But here's how you know if you do it. Who are you going to? What are you thinking about? Where do you keep turning for, for, your, for your life? If you keep turning to people, now look, it's not wrong to, to seek out wise counsel, but if you keep turning to people, if you keep turning to, to advice, to food, to shopping, to alcohol, to addiction, this is, this is how you can tell where your faith is planted because let me just tell you, the world's being shaken right now, Okay? Like, literally, we had an earthquake a, a month ago, right? It's so like, everything's shaking around us. And, and the, the, the enemy or God's allowing, it doesn't really matter. Either way, at the end of the day, God is doing good out of every horrible situation. He's allowing these things to do because he's about making his children more like him, bringing his children to him, and bringing glory to himself. But no matter what's happening, if your faith is in anything else, and you keep finding yourself angry and frustrated, like, God, you ripped this from me, and how dare you do this, and how dare you do this, you, you might have answered the question. That you haven't put your faith in God. That you haven't put your faith there and you aren't living by this faith. If you could, and I, I wish I could just, I wish somehow we could go back and see the pages, the, where there was, was there tears as Habakkuk was writing this stuff down? Right? I mean, he, he's, he, God literally says, hey buddy, you just need, you need to live by faith even though it's gonna suck. It's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be so bad. It takes faith to get you through the hardest of situations. But the reality is, is that we are to live by that faith. It takes the salvation of faith, but it takes us living continually by this faith. This is what Hebrews talks about over and over again, about persevering to the end. Can God do it? Do you believe he can? Do you have faith? Whatever your circumstances are, no matter how difficult it is, this is how we know if we have this faith. Do you believe at the end of the day? Your, 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 your wrestling is not with me. Your wrestling is not with man. Your wrestling is not with your job. Your wrestling is not with your government. Your wrestling is with God. Do you believe that he can do what he says he can do, what he says he will do, and what he says he's doing? Do you believe him? So which person are you? Are you the righteous or the unrighteous. See, right now, I think many of us are finding out that we had hope and faith in things that aren't worthy to hold us. They will crack or break no matter how much we reinforce them. They will fall. Now, I wanna, 
I want to pull back a little bit because some of you are like, wow, that was really harsh. I'm really glad I watched this. Or maybe some of you turned me off right now, so I'm sorry you won't hear the rest of this. But to be really clear, the only thing that we can hope in and have faith in that can sustain the weight of that hope and faith is God. The only thing is God. Now, I am confident, if you're like me, that during your difficulties, whether it's happening now or when it happens in the future or this whole situation that's going on right now is causing you to wrestle, you've been confronted by the Lord in his grace to say, hey, hey, Brent, Brent, you have faith in something else. You have faith in something else. I'm just gonna go ahead and, I'm just gonna go ahead and cut that away from you because I don't, I don't want you to have faith there. I'm a jealous God and I want you to have faith in me. So what I'm not saying is just because you're wrestling with faith that you're obviously not a follower of Jesus and you need to run and you need to repent. No, some of you, that is the case. But a lot of us, here's what happens. What happens is we, we, we've kind of unintentionally taken our eyes off the Lord. Like, like, like Peter on the water, we started seeing wind, although you don't really see wind, you just see the effects of wind. Right? And you've, you've taken your eyes off the Lord and what's happened is in the, in the assaults of whatever's going on in your life, you started focusing, hyper-focusing on that instead of putting your, your gaze back on Jesus Christ saying, God, you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. I will walk with you. And what happens is we get weak. I, I personally, these last few weeks, guys, has been really hard for me. There's been a number of things that are going on, just difficult situations, really, really really hard. And this message is one of those ones where I was going through it and it's like, gosh, I don't even know if this has anything to do with anyone that's going to be listening to this. And it might just be that God's needing to speak to my heart and speak to me. And so I came to this and I was like, man, I don't, like, why am I wrestling? And even in my own struggles, it's like, I know what God says. I believe these things. It's not like I, I, I mean, yes, I wrestle at times. I'm not perfect at believing these things. Like, oh, look at me, guys. No, that's not what I'm saying. I wrestle. And I came to Mark 9, and it was just, God is so good. I was in a moment of just silence with him, and he was reminding me of this, and it was just beautiful. It's this, it's this section kind of right after Jesus has done the transfiguration with the three disciples, like this whole awesome moment. Well, then they're coming down. There's this big commotion, right? And the crowd's kind of going nuts. And what's going on? And, and they come down, and like this, this father comes up and says, look, my, my boy, he's mute, and he's, he, can't, he can't speak, and he convulses, and he keeps doing it. And your disciples, they couldn't, they couldn't cast out the demon. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get rid of him. And he's like, okay, my goodness. Like, your disciples have been trying to cast this out on my son, and they can't do it. Can you help me? And Jesus says, can, can I help you? Right? That's what his answer is. But if, 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 if you can do anything, I kind of picture it that way. I'm sure he's a little bit nicer than it. But he says, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can... If you can, all things are possible for the one who what? Who believes. And this is where God confronted me this last week, and I hope he confronts you in the same spot. Do you believe? Not in the situation, not in the circumstances, not in the government, not in anything else, but do you believe in God? Do you have faith in God? And I love what this father says. I love what this father says, and maybe this is just what you need to say over and over again. It's what I've been praying over my own heart all week long. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father does what? He cries out. He doesn't just say, okay, well, this. He cries out. This is, a, this is a, a screaming, a violent reaction. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Guys, that's what we need to utter sometimes. God, I believe in you, but help. Help my unbelief. Look at that. That is such a beautiful posture. We have been there, and if you are a believer and you have not been there, you are going to get to that spot. You're going to get to that spot where everything around you is going to look like it's the opposite of what God says is true of him. And you're going to go, I believe you can do this, God. I believe you can do this. But everything in front of me says that there's no way it's going to happen because I just don't believe it logically. And this is what we need to believe. This is where faith comes in. This is where faith is strengthened. I believe, but help 
my unbelief. There are parts of me that have doubts that say, can God really do that? Can God really accomplish these things? It's in moments like these that my prayer has to believe, or has to be, I believe, help my unbelief. Even the disciples ask for more faith. We see it in Luke, right after Jesus talks about forgiving. He says, you say you're supposed to forgive someone 77 times. I don't know if that's in the context or if this is just a section of teaching. But either way, they come in and the apostles said to him, said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord says, and Jesus says, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, guys, I've seen the mustard seed. You've probably seen too. They're, they're itty bitty. They're teeny. Small, 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 small. Okay. There's nothing big about them. In fact, it's almost amazing how small they are. Right? Like it's, it's one of those things you look at and you go, wow, that is really tiny. He says, if you, you could say to this mulberry tree, to this tree sitting here, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now look what Jesus does here. By referring to the tiny mustard seed, he doesn't, he, he, he does about, um, right after they asked about increased faith, he, he deflects attention away from the quantity of faith to the object of faith. Do you see what he does there? He says, no, no, no. Like they're like, I want more faith. He goes to mustard seed. It's not about it's not about the quantity of your faith. It's the object you have your faith in. God is the one that can make the mulberry tree plant itself in the sea. God is the one that can take the mountain into the sea. God is the one that can do those things. Not you mustering up more faith. So many of you are followers of Jesus. You are righteous. You're like, I need more faith. Ask him. But recognize that the growth of faith comes from hearing the word of God. And the quantity of faith doesn't matter. It's what we have our faith in that genuinely matters. This is what he's saying. One pastor says it this way, speaking about it back. He said, it shouldn't be too hard to see what the main point of this little book is. Negatively, it is this. Proud people whose strength is their God will come to a woeful end, even though they may enjoy prosperity for a season, either as God's chosen ones in Judah or as the victors over Judah. All the proud, whether Jew or Gentile, will perish in the judgment. But Habakkuk stresses the positive side of his main point, namely, the just, the righteous shall live by his faith. He states it as a principle in 2.4 and then he celebrates it as a song in 3.16 through 19. I can't wait to get to the spot when he says, even when all the fruit and produce and flocks and herds are destroyed and my very life is threatened, yet will I rejoice in God. When Habakkuk says that, he shows us what it means by faith in 2.4. He brings banking our hope on God no matter what, saying, look, how hard it gets, doesn't matter. Faith will see you through it. So as difficult as your circumstances are, I do not mean to minimize them, but when compared to the faith that we can have in God, they are the smallest thing ever. God can do it. God is capable of doing it. One other pastor says this. He says, when you exercise faith, when you put yourself under good teaching and under the word of God, you know the promises of God. When you put to test the promises of God and watch how time and time again he comes through, faith grows and you become strong in your faith. Faith is only as good as the object you put it in. It's the only thing. It's only as good as the object you put it in. And our faith is in God. Faith is not some feeling that we manufacture. It's our total response to what God has revealed in his word. True Bible faith True Bible faith, the scriptures that talk about what Habakkuk's talking about here, is confident, obedient to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. That's what true biblical faith is, and that's what God is pushing on us in Habakkuk. Habakkuk taught us that when judgment comes, the just shall live by God's faith. And when that seed comes to full flower in the New Testament, we see that the reason the just live by faith is that the just are justified by faith. 
it's all him. It's him doing it. There's a hope for those who will hold firm their trust in God as calamity comes. Are you a person that is righteous before God? Are you putting your faith in him, not in anything around you? Will you submit yourself to his faith? No matter what the circumstances say, will you wait in faith, no matter how long it takes? This is what God has for us today. And when you're struggling, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me pray and then we're gonna worship. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for my faith. Um, I know that it is not something that you gave me because I'm awesome or because I did anything to merit it or work for it or deserve it. Um, I was completely undeserving of the, of the faith that you've given me. I was completely undeserving of the righteousness that you've given me through Jesus Christ, God. And I will confess, I have been a, um, at times just a pathetic example of what it means to live by your faith. And so please forgive me for that. So God, I pray for, for all the, our brothers and sisters that are listening that are watching this. God, I pray that they would be instilled with a faith that's not manufactured, that's not made up. But it would almost be a, um, an excitement to, to live by your faith, God. Where every opportunity is given to go, nope, nope, I don't care what you say to me, enemy. I don't care what you say to me, person. I don't care what you say to me, mind. I know the truth and I believe God. And I will, tre- I will rest in what he says not in what I say, not in what anyone else says. I will look for his words in his scripture. I will listen to his spirit to speak the truth over me. God, could we be a people of faith that then just takes that faith and it just, just multiply it? God, I can't help but think that through this whole COVID-19 thing, this whole, this whole stay-at-home order, with, you have placed and postured a people to shine so bright right now that I fear maybe some of us have missed that because of our fears, because of our lack of faith, or because of our faith put in other things. So Father, I pray that you draw us back to you. And if that's drawing us back to you in a way that's a long, arduous, painful road like you did with the people of Judah in Habakkuk's day, God, then have your way. Because we know, like you say in your scripture after this, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking to bring you more glory, even at times when we try to bring glory to ourselves. So we love you, God, and we thank you for faith. Um, I pray for those that maybe confessed for the first time faith with you, God. Would you connect them to a people where they could be discipled? Would you connect them to um, you? Would you let them start opening the scriptures and just let them just those words flow over them? God, for the individual today that realized that they thought they had faith, um, that they had missed on it, would you help them to not move forward in guilt of, of, of sadness about what they've missed, but instead joy in the fact that they are resting with you, God? There's nothing better than being with you. Forgive us for at times looking for something else to be with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.